0: Well, uh, I have a, a a really great message that I prepared for you this morning, and uh, you're going to have to hear it some other time, because uh, God woke me up at three o'clock, a little bit before three o'clock this morning. It was two forty-four when I looked at my 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 phone, and uh, I just I, I was tossing and turning all night, and I was like, God, why can't I sleep? What's going on? What you know? Either let me go back to sleep or just wake me up. And uh, you know, I saw one of my friends who may or may not be in the room this this past week posted that Folgers got it wrong. That the best part of waking up is not Folgers in your cup. It's going back to sleep after you wake up to go to the bathroom. Uh, and that is the best part of waking up. And so I was like, all right, so go use the bathroom, lay back down. Like, okay, God, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay here. And if if you want me to be up, then two hours from now, just get me out. And he's like, nope. You're up now. And uh, so I went downstairs and just kept praying, like, God, what is it that that you have me up for? I have no idea why I'm awake at this point. And so I did, uh, after I prayed, I did what any spiritual person would do. I got on Facebook and uh, immediately saw the news about the things that had happened in Charlottesville, Virginia, yesterday. And my heart was broken. My heart was broken. Because that is unacceptable. And I began to craft an email to uh, all the pastors here in Georgetown that I have an email address for, and I just said, men, we have got to stand against this. And so tonight at 6 p.m. at the courthouse down on the square on the steps facing Austin Avenue, we're going to gather there, Uh, it may just be me and my family, but I'm going to I'm going to be there to pray for the people of Charlottesville, to pray for our nation and all the things that are happening right now and to pray for our city, that God would protect our city from the things that are happening other places from happening here and that, that our hearts would be burdened, that this is not okay. Micah 6, eight says, What does the Lord your God require of you but to do justice, to love mercy and walk humbly with your God? And when I see things like this happening in Charlottesville, uh, I see little justice and little mercy taking place in the hearts of people and God led me to a passage that really inspired me to to write my email and it 's found in in Romans chapter twelve and uh, I want us to look at the middle of the passage first, so there 's not going to be any bullet points. Your bulletin notes are going to be useless this morning because I just uh, it it was actually in the shower that I felt the Holy Spirit say, I have a different message for you today, and this is what I want you to say. So I haven't had much time to prepare this, um, so you'll bear with me if I lose my train of thought or if I go somewhere, uh, chase a rabbit. Can, can you bear with me through that? And, and can we uh, just, just pray before we jump in here? Heavenly Father, uh, we we just think through the words of the last song that we sang that you bring light to the darkness. Father, I'm reminded of the scripture that says men love darkness because their deeds were evil. In the past 24, 48 hours, we've been reminded just how evil the hearts of man are apart from your son, Jesus Christ. But we thank you that he died on the cross for our sins to restore us. Lord, that we could live not through our flesh, but through the power of the Spirit. We pray that you would speak to us now through your word, that you would change our hearts, Lord, that we would not be content as Christians to stand aside and do nothing. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I've seen things like this happen throughout the country over the last couple years, and I've never really made a big deal out of it. Because I've always been a little bit afraid of, what do I say? If I say one thing, if, if I say something, this one crowd over here is going to say, oh, well, you you think just like they do. And if I, if I don't say something, then this crowd over here is going to say, you're not saying anything, so you think just like they do. And so out of fear of who was going to accuse me of what, I've just said nothing. And to be quite honest, I haven't known what to say. I really haven't known what to say because... The things that we're seeing in this country, the racism that we're seeing, let's use that word, racism. Can we say that word? Let's call it what it is, racism, and it is sin. From the pit of hell, it is sin. And you may or may not know this about me, uh, but I'm white. If you need further proof, I will dance for you later. Uh, <laughs> I am and so I, I haven't known how to respond because I didn't want it to come across like this is just some white guilt that he feels for whatever his ancestors may have done in the eighteen hundreds, which can we say that in the name of Christianity people have done some evil things. People have taken the word of God, they perverted it and used it for their own evil. Can we just acknowledge that as Christians this morning and can we fall on our knees and can we go to our our African American, our black, our Hispanic, our Asian brothers and sisters that live here in this country with us and say, please forgive us for the things that were done in the name of Jesus Christ that is not the Jesus we serve and that is not what the word of God teaches. Can we begin doing that? And so I've been conflicted because I I, I didn't want to do it just because I felt guilty about something and I didn't want to do it just because it was the popular thing to do, because it it was, you know, we're on a social crusade. That's not why I'm here this morning, because I have no idea how to respond as a white man. No idea how I'm supposed to respond. I've never been on the receiving end of racism. It's never been a part of my life. But I do know How God would have me respond as a Christian man. I do know how God would have us respond as followers of Jesus Christ. And if you have your Bible this morning, I hope you'll turn with me to Romans chapter twelve. As I said, we're going to begin kind of in the middle of this passage. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says this: Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That is what we're going to do this morning. There are families three families in Virginia this morning who are weeping because they've lost a family member. There are people who are weeping because people in their community think it is okay. It is okay to oppress them, to make fun of them, to call them names, and be racist. So we are going to weep with those who weep, but I want us to look a little bit deeper. I want us to think about what would God have us do? What is it that God would have us do? So I want to go back to verse 9. It says this, Love must be without hypocrisy. Detest what is evil and cling to what is good. Detest what is evil and cling to what is good, and that is what I feel the Word of God calls us to do as followers of Jesus Christ when we see evil. We must stand up. Your translation may say, hate what is evil, and I love that translation even better. We need to hate what is evil, and we cannot stand by and be silent and watch it happen and think that that is okay. We must hate it enough that we stand up, that we would stand in the gap and say, if this ever comes to our city, if this ever comes to Georgetown, we will not stand silently by and watch this happen. If you want to get to them, the ones that you're seeking to oppress, that you're calling out, you're going to have to go through us. The church of Jesus Christ, whom Jesus says the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. We need to hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And then he goes on and he says, Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another showing, in showing honor. First Peter tells us that we are to show respect to everyone. Show respect to everyone. Give everyone the honor that they are due them. He says, "Outdo one another, showing uh, outdo one another and showing honor. Do not lack diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction, and be persistent in prayer." This is what we are going to do. We are going to rejoice in the hope that as we reach men, women, and children with the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ and their hearts are turned from flesh into spirit, from darkness to light. They move from the darkness to the marvelous light, as First Peter says, that they would begin to change, that God would begin to change their hearts because this is what I honestly believe. We can stand against racism all day long and not make a difference. The only thing that will make a difference is when God captures someone's heart and changes it. The gospel is the only thing that can change people. I honestly believe that. The gospel is the only thing that can change your marriage. The gospel is the only thing that can change your workaholism. The gospel is the only thing that can change our brokenness. So we need to understand that that the greatest need for the people in our world today is not that we would try to persuade them with some lofty argument, but that they would come to know that Jesus Christ died for their sins and offers them the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life simply by trusting in him. So we must rejoice in hope. Rejoice that there is hope. Rejoice that people can change through the power of the gospel. We must be patient in affliction. We must wait. We must be patient and see what God is doing. And then he says this, be persistent in prayer. And that is our purpose of gathering tonight. We are going to be persistent. We are going to be faithful, as some translations say. We're just going to be faithful in praying because we know that there is nothing that we can do on our own power. We must rely on the power of God. And then he says, and he goes on and and says, uh, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, and be persistent in prayer. So we'll gather to pray tonight. I want to, switch gears just a little bit and talk about why we as Christians should not be okay with this and why we should not be silent. And I want to bring us all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, 27 is going to be up on the screen and it says this. It says, so God created man. That is mankind. God created who? Say mankind. God created who? In whose image? His image. God's image. He created who? He created Him, mankind. How did he create him? In the what? You say it. Image of God. God. He created them, male and female. That covers all of humanity. So you tell me, white, black, yellow, brown, who is created in the image of God? Say everyone. When you belittle someone, when you laugh at a racist joke, make a racist comment, or even stand by while someone else does, you tear down the very image of God. You tear it down. You destroy it. Let me ask you, is that what you think God desires for those of us who follow Jesus Christ? to either tear down someone created in his image or to allow someone else to tear someone down who's been made in his image. I don't think so. In Acts 17, verse 26 and 27, Paul says this, from one man he has made every nationality. How how many? Every nationality to live over the whole earth and has de- determined their appointed times and their boundaries of where they should live he did this why so they might seek god and perhaps they might reach out and find him though he is not far from each of us he made every nationality over the whole earth who made the races who made the beautiful plethora of colors that we see when we look at humanity you can say it god did God created that, and it was good. It was very good, because it was created in His image, and God has put every single one of them here, that they would seek Him, though He is not far from, from them. John 3:16 demonstrates the links that God was willing to show that He was not far from them. For God so loved, what does that say? White people. Is that what it says? For God so loved black people. For God so loved Asians, Hispanics, mixed race, fill in the blank. What does it say? Say it loud and say it proud. For God so loved thee that he did what? He, who did he give? His one and only son. So that what? So that, how many? Who? Who? White people, black people, Hispanics, everyone, so that everyone who does good works gives enough to the church, shows up to enough Sundays. No, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life those people who every person who has been created in the image of God was worth something to him, so much so that he would send his one and only son to pay the penalty for their sins. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God loves the people in our community, the people of different races, every single person on this earth. He loved them enough to send his one and only son to bear their sins, so that they could know that simply through faith they would have eternal life and spend eternity with him. That's how much he loved them. Later in scripture, after Jesus has died, resurrected, and then ascended, we get to Acts chapter 2. Jesus has completed his mission by dying on the cross for our sins. And then, Fifty days later, he ascends. And his disciples are left like, now what? So they just pray for a week. They pray and ask God to do something. And then finally, they, they, they receive the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And all the people gather. And, and I, I want to read this from Acts chapter 2 real quick. Because to me, this is important. Don't put the picture up yet. I want you to hear this. Acts chapter 2. Listen to the groups of people that were there. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, in Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, f- Asia, Fergia, uh, uh, and Pamphylia, Mesopotamia, in, in, in Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Fyr- Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking the magnificent acts of God in our own languages. On the day of Pentecost, the day that God comes down, delivers his Holy Spirit to the people that they could proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did you hear all the different people groups represented? I want to put this map up here. See, Pentecost was a special holiday for the Jews and people who had been converted to Judaism from all over the world would come to celebrate the day of pentecost do you think it was by accident that god waited until the entire world had gathered in jerusalem that he would send his holy spirit so that the gospel of jesus christ could be proclaimed not just in jerusalem but to people from all over the world you think about you think about the different nationalities and races that are covered on this map. And you see that God's heart truly is for the world, for all people. If God's heart is for all people and you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, your Christ, your heart must be for all people. No questions asked. Period. I want us also to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says this, For he, Jesus, is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. Paul is writing to a group of people, Jews and Gentiles. They did not mix. In fact, when I was in college, I came across, it's called the Cotton Patch Version of the Bible, and it was translated by a man in the deep south near Atlanta during the 1950s, and he was having this, uh, a struggle, getting his people in his church to understand what is the Jew and Gentile, what is the deal here? And so this is the 1950s, and so he actually went back and retranslated it and used places in Georgia, Atlanta was Jerusalem, and he used all these places to contextualize the gospel for his people, and he used whites and blacks as the way to demonstrate. Here is the tension. Think about what's going on in the early 1960s, the late 1950s, and all the tension that's going on. And so he preached to his white congregation that this is what it means, That Jesus has made the two groups one. And it's not just Jew and Gentile. It's every nationality that are one in Christ. It says he's broken down the dividing wall of hostility. That dividing wall of hostility exists between us and God primarily. And when that breaks down, when that breaks down and we have right relationship with God, we can have right relationship with one another in all division and hostility towards other people must go away. This is why we as Christ followers cannot be okay with racism. This is why we as Christ followers cannot stand by silently. It's because we have a message that the entire world needs to hear. We don't just defend someone because they're a Christian. We defend them because they're created in the image of God, that God loved them enough to send his only son, And they need to hear, they need to hear that the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. And we are here with a ministry of reconciliation, is what Paul says. We have a ministry of reconciliation. So then what do we do with the perpetrators of racism? It's a tough question. I could tell you a couple things I'd like to do. But what does the Word of God say that we must do? Let's go back to Romans 12, verse 13. It says, share with the saints in their need, pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, his wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me, and I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. This is a quote from Scripture. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will heap fiery coals on his head. Last week, we heard a message from one of our elders, Bill Gravel. Great message on forgiveness. And it is not easy in situations like this, especially for me when I see this injustice, when I see this hatred and this evil, It is really hard for me to want to find it in my heart to forgive, but I'm reminded of what Luke chapter 6 says. Luke 6, if we have it. says, But I say to you who listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. These are the words of Jesus. This is his calling on our lives, is that we would do this. You may remember the Lord's Prayer. In fact, I'm going to have him put it up on the screen, and I want us to say it together, because I need to remind myself of this. Jesus says, therefore, you should pray like this. Let's read it together. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, say this one loud, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us, do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Can we go back one slide? I want, to, I want us to look at that, that middle verse there. And forgive our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Jesus is reminding the people that he's teaching. They too had a debt. They too had a need for forgiveness. And it was great. And he says in the same way, you need to be willing to forgive others. You need to be willing to forgive others in the same way you have got to forgive. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 4.32. He says, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Think about every little sin that you have ever done, consciously or subconsciously, cognitively, whatever. Every little thing that you have ever done has been forgiven in Jesus Christ. Everything. And now, The Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul says, in the same way you must forgive others. In the same way you must forgive others. It is a difficult thing to forgive. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. It doesn't mean we let them get away with what they've done. Forgiveness is not an event, it's a process. And forgiveness actually doesn't even take two people. It's not reconciliation. It doesn't mean that we have to reconcile with this person. But we ought to find a way in our hearts to be able to forgive them and to recognize that perhaps their greatest need is not to think the way we think, but their greatest need is for a Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And for, for them to understand. They are created in the image of God, just like the one they're attacking. In order to get to a point where we're willing to share that with them, that we would not withhold anything from them, we've got to get to the point where we're able to forgive. Where we're able to forgive. I've got to be quite honest that there are times when I see not just racism, but other injustices. It's really hard for me to want to find it in my heart to forgive. But then I remember that apart from Jesus Christ, apart from Jesus Christ, the reality of hell is real. And that is not something I would wish, even on my own worst enemy. I want us to look lastly at Romans 12.21. Romans 12.21 says, Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. When I read this this morning, thought, what is the good? What is the good that he wants from us? I believe he's already told us in verse 15, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with, uh, excuse me, uh, in verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, and be persistent in prayer, that we would combat evil with good, the proclamation of the gospel, the proclamation of hope, that we would and that we'd be faithful in prayer. I know this, this isn't an easy message to hear, and I'm going to actually ask the worship team to come up. I want us to have a time of response, but I'm, I'm going to uh, call an audible on these guys. I want us to go back to the first song that we sang, because the song that we sang about the everlasting God, he's defender of the weak. Defender of the weak, and he comforts those in need. And I think we just need to proclaim his greatness. And, and over the years, I, 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 my heart has changed. And I hope you don't view this as, as a political message, because I'm not seeking to be political in any way. I just want us to see and understand as River Rock Bible Church that we will stand up against this. We will not be silent. We will not stand by silently while people are oppressed, while people are degraded. The very image of God is degraded. Instead, we will be persistent in prayer. We will rejoice in hope, proclaiming the gospel. I know it's short notice, six o'clock tonight. You may already have plans But as I said, I sent that email to about 15, 16 pastors here in Georgetown. And my prayer, my prayer is that those in our community who have experienced racism, perhaps in this very community, that they would have a chance to see that not River Rock Bible Church, not First Baptist Church, not Christ Presbyterian, First United Methodist, but the Church of Jesus Christ cares about them and is not willing to stand by. That the Church of Jesus Christ, although in the past we've made mistakes and people have even used Christ's name to oppress others, we will not stand for that and we will be the first ones to lock arms with them and to stand in front of them and stand between them and those that would wish them harm or seek to do them harm. I want to talk about a powerful proclamation of God's love and an opportunity when they turn to you and say, why are you here? Say, because you are created in the image of God and God loved you enough to send His one and only Son to die for your sins. And I'm here because if God loves you that much, then I want to love you that much and I don't even know you. And that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. Because if my God is a defender of the weak, a comforter of those in need, then that's what I want to be too. Will you stand with me? Can can we sing this song? And ask God to defend those In our community, that maybe they're not physically weak, we know that, but perhaps over time they've become to believe the lies that they've heard over and over again. They begin to believe that they are what others have said they are, and they're in need of God's comfort. Father we thank you that you defend the weak that you comfort those in need Lord would you strengthen us strength will rise as we wait for you Lord we need your strength as at least me sits on those court steps tonight with whoever else shows up Lord would your strength be demonstrated in this city would people see that the church of Jesus Christ would not stand idly by would not be okay with your image being degraded and that we would push back darkness not through our strength not through power not through resistance not through violence but through your power through your might and your strength as we seek to do good